Welcome to Back from the Abyss. I'm Dr. Craig Heacock. These next two episodes were recorded at the very beginning of the COVID pandemic, just as things were starting to get a little scary. And I think this is an important note, as Erin's story is one of a contamination OCD, and her primary obsessional fear was focused on a virus. When I asked Erin if she was okay with coming to my office to record, given this emerging fear of the coronavirus, she was both excited and adamant that she felt totally comfortable leaving her house and meeting with me at a six-foot minimum distance, of course. As you will hear, this was an astounding accomplishment, given that when she and I first met five years ago, she was so gripped by fear of a certain virus that she couldn't even leave her house. She struggled to touch and care for her new baby, and she spent nearly every minute of her day trying to stay safe. Yet Erin was not just able, but actually eager to leave the safety of her home to record this episode. I hadn't seen her in a long, long time, as in recent years, she's primarily worked with Dr. Amy Indermule, an OCD expert here in Colorado, who is going to join me for the next episode to discuss both the treatment of OCD and her work with Erin in particular. This is the first time that we've done a two-part episode where another therapist and I meet up to discuss the hows and whys of a storyteller's treatment. And I think you're going to find this follow-up episode with Dr. Amy to be totally fascinating. While Erin has lifelong, low-grade, waxing and waning OCD symptoms, her fears were never overwhelming and her compulsions took little time out of her day. But shortly after her first baby was born, her OCD exploded, first with intrusive violent obsessions, then transitioning to constant dread of viral contamination. For it turns out that the postpartum period is the psychiatrically most risky time in a woman's life, both in terms of exacerbation of any existing psychiatric illness, as well as new onset depression, anxiety, and OCD. We might think of obsessive compulsive disorder as a sine wave or a roller coaster. The upslope is the mounting fear and dread of the obsession, such as believing that one's hands are contaminated or that someone is going to die or that a situation just doesn't feel right. And the compulsion is the downslope, the action that releases and relieves the obsessional fear, such as scrubbing hands with disinfectant or saying a prayer in just the right way or maybe counting with a certain cadence to a certain N number. The compulsion relieves the obsessional anxiety, but it also sets up the next sine wave, the next upslope on the roller coaster. Each compulsion feeds that OCD beast and sets up the next obsession, which then sets up the next compulsion, and so on and so on in a miserable, unending loop. The key feature of treating obsessive-compulsive disorder is to not give in to the compulsion, to not repetitively pull the safety brake, but rather to sit with the mounting anxiety until it reaches its natural peak and then begins to slowly go down on its own, a process called habituation or fear extinction. Both Aaron in this episode and Dr. Amy in the next episode describe in vivid and sometimes shocking detail the process of ERP, or exposure and response prevention. If you only take one learning point from these two episodes, it would be that the primary treatment for obsessive-compulsive disorder is exposure and response prevention, 
and that ERP is both hard work and powerfully effective. Names and some details have been changed in these stories to maintain confidentiality. I'd say about a couple of weeks after I had her, I was coming down the stairs in our house and I'm holding her and I get this idea in my head that oh, I could slip and fall down the stairs and then she's going to fall with me and she's going to get squashed and killed and she's going to die and I'm going to kill my baby. I'm like, oh, that's, that's terrible. But yes, that could happen. So then I'm holding her and holding onto the staircase and I'm going down the stairs. And then going up and down the stairs a lot with her when I was, when she was young, because that's where her room was and all diapers and that sort of thing. And I remember coming downstairs with her again and I got this image in my head of me throwing her down the stairs. Not, oh, an accident, I slipped and fell, but... She's here in my hands, and I'm picking her up, and I'm throwing her down the stairs, and she dies. Mm-hmm. And I just am freaking out. Oh, my gosh. Why am I thinking this? I'm a terrible person. I'm a terrible mom. This normal, you know, moms don't think this kind of thing. No. Same with the windows. I had um, similar thoughts about the windows. I, I had images and thoughts of me forcefully throwing her out the window. Which, of course, with an infant, she would die. And it wasn't a thought that just came and went. It came and it stayed. And I thought about it a lot. So I had the thought. And some we all have weird thoughts. And they pass. But I, I had the thought. And then that thought stayed. And I would just kind of think about it all day. Why did I have that thought? What is wrong with me? What am I going to do? Am I capable of doing that? Why do I want to do that? Questioning myself, one, not really questioning the thought, you know, well, why did I have that thought? More of, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I having these feelings? Like I want to kill my baby. Yeah. And not the kind of thoughts, excuse me, that you could check in with your husband or your mom or your friend probably. No. Hey, honey, I'm just wondering why I'm having these intrusive, powerful, sort of murderous, mm-hmm. abandonment, awful thoughts towards my beautiful young girl. Right. Yeah, which is scary because I did not want to say what I was thinking out loud. Because if I said it out loud to somebody, <laughs> man, they're going to think something's really wrong with me. So it was scary to to share with anybody, so I didn't. Yeah. So it's just this double kind of awful suffering. You're suffering with these, just you're being tormented by your mm-hmm. thoughts and obsessions, but you can't tell anyone. Right. Because at least, you know, if you have some grievous injury to your leg or you're losing tons of weight or you're vomiting blood, you, you could tell someone hey, something's seriously wrong. Right. But with these kinds of intrusive, awful obsessions, you're just suffering alone. And, right. And possibly thinking that you're losing your mind. Yeah. There were definite times that I felt for many years that 
I'm losing, I'm losing it. I'm losing my mind. And as OCD progressed, which I didn't realize was OCD, I was doing things that made it look like maybe I was losing my mind to my family, but they didn't understand what was going on because I couldn't tell them. Yeah. What would that look like? Like if we could go back and watch video of you mm-hmm. in those early months, you're just racked by horrific OCD that you didn't know what it was. Um, yeah. Like what are you doing? What, what did that look like from, I got from this, family perspective? Yeah, from family perspective, um, when the hand washing started, I think that's when it was the most visible to somebody else. So OCD for me started with the intrusive thoughts and um, eventually morphed into contamination OCD. But I I remember in the beginning, um, I was terrified that I was going to die, either by my hand or from SIDS. So I was up all night. I'd get up and check on her every couple of hours. If I heard her move in the, on the monitor, I'd get up. And so I started checking her breaths. Because she's a baby, it was kind of hard to see if she's breathing or not. And so I'd put my hand on her, and I would make sure she was breathing, and I'd check for three breaths. Then three breaths became, well, I should double that. So six breaths. Then it became, well, just to be safe, I better, tr- you know, Let's do nine breaths, and it's all by threes because that's always been my number of my weird number is mm-hmm. threes. It got to the point I'm up almost all through the night, and every time I go to her room to check her breathing, I was counting her breaths 300 times. I had my hand on my infant daughter, and I was counting to 300 to make sure she was breathing. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't count to 300, if I said, no, you're going to stop at three, that wasn't an option. Yeah. It, if it wasn't 300, it wasn't good enough. And if it wasn't 300, she wasn't safe. But nobody really saw that yeah. because that's in the middle of the night and I'm in, I'm in her room by yeah. myself. Was there a little part of you that knew that that was irrational? Yes. Yeah. Yes. But you're compelled. Yes. So it's like you're part of your brain saying this is ridiculous, but your overwhelming fear response is you have to do this. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, that's one of the scariest parts of it is there is that part of you that says, this is too much. This is ridiculous. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what that rational part of me said. This fear made me do these other things. When I started having the the cold sore fears is when people started noticing. So I'm nursing my daughter and I get this idea in my head that I have a cold sore, which I've had cold sores. It's not anything new to me. My daughter reaches up her hand and she hits me in the face and um, I get this thought, oh my gosh, what if, what if she gets a cold sore? And I feel panic. I feel hot. My heart starts racing. I'm shaking because of this thought, because this thought that she's, she might get cold sores. I think, oh, this must, 
this must be really bad. Mm -hmm. If she gets cold sores, it's going to be really bad. And then I start thinking, if she gets cold sores, um, people aren't going to like her. If uh, she gets cold sores, people will make fun of her. I don't want her to get cold sores. So I have to protect her from that. So I got up, took her to the bathroom, washed her hand, washed the side of her face. Because she had, of course, after that, had touched her face. And then I went back to the room. And that kind of just caught fire. And... Do you, I wonder, Erin, if the reason it caught fire was because when this cold sore incident happened, you had such a powerful fight-flight um, fear reaction. Mm -hmm. It's like the smoke alarm of you is just blaring. And so then your brain has to explain that. Why is my smoke alarm blaring at 120 decibels? Right. And so what you came up with is cold sore equals like life ruining. Right. Yeah. Like it was almost, you know, <clears throat> the your brain had to explain, your frontal lobe had to explain what your body was telling you, which was this is unbelievably horrible. Yes. And so you had to come up with an explanation, even though the rational brain would say it's cold sore. Millions of people have those big deal. Right. Right. That makes sense. But it wasn't focused on other viruses or bacteria. It wasn't, I don't want to take her out because of RSV right. or, or, you know, pneumonia or mm -hmm. um, HPV or all the other yeah. things. It was focused on this one virus. This one virus. And, and that's it. If she got sick or got the flu or who knows what else, I thought, well, we'll deal with that. But if the, she got the cold sore, oh, that was, forget about it. It's over. So, so, so your day-to-day -day life turned into a mission to make sure that she had zero exposure to that herpes virus. Yes, exactly. Which meant she had zero exposure to a lot of life. You know, she didn't go to a park until she was almost two. So... <laughs> Um, really kind of built a lot of walls around our life, made a lot of rituals to keep us safe, wanted everyone to follow my rituals, um, which doesn't work, which isn't healthy for people around. Did you people tell people me? that you wanted them to be clean for the sake of being clean, or did anyone know that... It actually was a very specific obsession with, with this herpes cold virus. Only my husband mm -hmm. knew. Everyone else uh, who came around, which seemed like a lot at the time. You know, we had a new baby and everyone wanted to come meet her. And um, I think it was easy at that point to just say, oh, it's the new baby. Can you make sure you wash your hands? Um but I think people started getting a little suspicious when I was taking the Clorox wipe out and wiping down any new toys that they gave her or wiping down the doorknobs after they came into the house. And, um, I mean, my hand washing became really intense. And when people were over visiting, they definitely noticed. And I had a couple people make comments about it, um, not knowing, you know, what was going on but still couldn't stop, still mm -hmm. didn't stop.
remember one night I was making spaghetti, something really simple, and I was putting some, um, or maybe it wasn't spaghetti, it was a spaghetti type thing, and I was putting some spices on the top, and they kind of floated to the top of the, um, the pan, and I got this suspicious thought in my mind, like, maybe those are bad, maybe they're um, rotten or something. And I was nursing at the time. And I thought if I eat something and it's poisoned, then it's going to poison my daughter and she's going to die. Okay. Well, I better look at this and I'd smell it and I'd do it. And it's floating at the top. It was a stew. That's what it was. And, um, so I called him over. I said, Hey, look at these, look at these spices at the top of the, of the stew do you think someone came in and poisoned these and that's why they're floating to the top? Because normally they don't do this. And he looked at me just dead in the eyes and said, are you serious? I said, what? Yeah, I'm serious. Do you think someone poisoned these? Because if someone came into the house and poisoned these and then I eat it and then I feed it and I feed our daughter, then she's going to die. And he, I think was just at that point, scared. I need, I wanted him so much for reassurance because I, and that is part of OCD is part of it's, it's a compulsion. Sometimes uh, reassurance can be a compulsion. Sometimes like you constantly need reassurance. Is this okay? Is that okay? Is this okay? And, uh, and I was constantly asking him for reassurance for so many things and it became exhausting. Yeah. 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 And, what a huge stress on your marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I was looking to him for all these answers. I wasn't able to make decisions almost without having some reassurance from him or my mom or my aunt or, or somebody. And Even if he had tried to confront you and say, this is ridiculous, it's not mm-hmm. going to happen. I mean, part of you knew that. Right. right. I already knew that. But that would almost make it worse because he's speaking to that little remaining non-OCD rational part of your brain that right. you, you know this is you know this is crazy but you can't stop right so what yeah. he, so he took the tact I think like a lot of family members is just go along with it mm-hmm. because it's just easier to reassure and go along with the rituals and do everything the person asks rather than try to confront the really delusional level of mm-hmm. fear yeah I asked him I said is there anything that you remember happening early on that in terms of OCD that really kind of freaked you out or anything. And, and he said, yeah, he said, one day I came home and you were giving, uh, you were giving her a bath and you were holding a washcloth out, you know, at arm's length. And you came into the bathroom with this washcloth and you knelt down to start giving her a bath. And you asked me, did this touch my face? Which obviously, I mean, it's like arm's length from my face. Did this touch, did this touch my face? And he said, no. And he looked down to the side of the bathtub and there was a pile of washcloths already piled up there from all the times that before he had got home that I had asked myself that same question after holding it out at arm's length and decided no. Uh, it's not safe. Yes, that must have touched your face. So put it down and go get another one. And it was only when he gave me that reassurance, no, that did not touch your face, that I started giving her her bath. 
So I started holding things out at arm's length because then I could see them. And I knew if I was holding something out at arm's length, then it wouldn't have touched my face. Because if it touched my face, especially my lips, then it was contaminated whether I had a cold sore or not. Mm -hmm. So that pile of washcloths represented kind of this chaos in my my mind at that time. And that happened for a number of things, diapers, hand towels. Um, dishes, laundry. Um, when I would take the laundry out, if I thought it touched my face, I'd have to rewash the entire load of laundry. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a, a breaking point or a low? Or I mean, you suffered many months with yeah. this uh, really incapacitating contamination, OCD taking over your whole life. What finally moved you to go try treatment, to get an assessment? I... I remember it. It was a very disturbing moment. I was in the kitchen, and it was like midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning. It was midnight is actually what it was. And I was in the kitchen, and I don't know if I was starting the dishwasher or doing something in the kitchen, and then I washed my hands. And then I grabbed a paper towel, and I dried my hands. And then I put it in the trash, and I thought, did I did that paper towel touch my face before I dried my hands? I better wash my hands again. So I washed my hands again. Same thought. Wait a minute. I think that must have touched my face. So that's this contaminated and I have to throw it away and I have to wash my hands again. And the more I'm washing my hands, the more I'm feeling kind of out of control and I'm washing my hands. For whatever reason, I happened to look at the time on the clock. It was late and I was tired and, but I kept washing my hands, throwing the paper towel away, having a, a same or very similar thought. Oh, that touched you touched your face with that paper towel, which means that paper towel is contaminated and you just dried your hands with it. So you have to wash your hands again. So wash your hands again, wash my hands again, same thing over and over and over again. And I washed my hands for 30 minutes mm. and I was crying. Couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. And it was a really scary moment because I felt like I know that this is not right. And I know that this doesn't make sense, but I can't stop. Mm-hmm. And it was really scary. It was really scary. Yeah. And then the, that's when I, that's when I got treatment. first session you're wearing gloves and mm-hmm. basically kind of in a constant panic attack when I told yeah. you that you had OCD postpartum OCD you seemed both relieved but also surprised maybe for sure yeah I guess one I didn't know that that I didn't know what OCD was really you know you hear a lot of people say well oh I'm so OCD about that or about this and and I think for the first time I just felt understood mm. you know and that was a big um relief almost you know mm. <laughs> one i remember the night before i came to see you i was really nervous and my husband's being really encouraging and and i just i'm just afraid that i'm gonna go in here and 
he's going to say, you're really nuts and take my baby away. And I really thought that that was true. I really thought that that was what was going to happen. But I also knew that if I didn't get help for what was going on, I was no good to my family. So I was like, what do you do? You know, do you face this potentially horrifying thing? You know, like you can't be around your baby or you live Mm -hmm. your life like this, which isn't good for anybody. Mm -hmm. So I was very relieved (laughs) when I came, when I came to see you on, on a lot of different levels, but yeah, Aaron, I think you're describing so powerfully something I see a lot, which is, I don't know, 85% of the time when people come to me convinced they're losing their mind, yeah, they have OCD. Mm-hmm. The people who are actually losing their mind think they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true because I think the particularly the two things about OCD, one is just the bizarreness and horror of some of the obsessions and two is because a part of your brain is holding on evaluating judging this is like hey this is this is crazy Mm -hmm. but you have to do it but this is crazy but and so it's like that maintaining that little bit of rationality it's just torturing you and it's sort of becoming a narrator telling you yeah you're losing it it is it's definitely a narrator So the first things that we did was um, look at different medications to kind of tone down that the narrator <laughs> in my life. Um, so we tried, um, really the first thing we tried is what stuck and, and what worked. So um, what we really worked on was the dosage of um, Lexapro or escitalopram. What specifically did the... Escitalopram, Lexapro, do for your OCD symptoms? Um, I think one of the first things I remember is just not being so frustrated with my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) But, um, you know, it can be frustrating when he's not doing the things that I would expect him to be doing with with my OCD. (laughs) You know, like, I want him to wash his hands, and I want him to do this and that. And when he wouldn't do those things, it would make me really fussy. And I know one day you told me, you said, you, you have to stop. You have to stop asking him if he washed his hands because your OCD cannot be his. You don't want him to have become or, you know, start picking up these OCD behaviors. And that was hard. But I do remember, um, I do remember just feeling kind of like it took the edge off and it kind of let me think a little bit more clearly, not as, um, so my brain a lot of times just felt like static, you know, just like constant, this black against white, you know, just fuzz. And, um, it really toned that down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To where I could kind of think about things a little bit more clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in, um, in many respects, and I'm sure we had this discussion a few times, you know, if OCD treatment is a marathon, yeah, you know, the, uh, <clears throat> starting medications like signing up for the race, putting on your running shoes, yeah. stretching, drinking water, and taking off and starting to run. Right. But it's like 
there's 25 miles left. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's called ERP, yes. exposure and response prevention. Yes. Yeah, tell us a little bit about yeah. that. So, I remember uh, coming to see you and and we had been seeing each other for a little while and uh and uh, I came in and you had your monitor pulled up on your computer. And you said, "Hey, c- come over here." And I went over there and you had Google Images of cold source and there was i mean on one page there were like a hundred of them and they, they were, were horrible. horrible they were horrible and i froze and i couldn't look i looked away i looked away and i said what are you do- <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> you're like come on look at these let's look at these together and i, I just no i don't want to look at those i don't they gave me um right when i saw them i my heart started you know, thumping and uh, my face, I could feel the heat coming up through my neck and my face. And I just, I didn't want to look at them, but together we looked at them Mm -hmm. for a short time. You didn't make me do it for a long time. I looked at them and then, um, and then I sat down and we, we talked about it. Do you think at that point, and I know that was years ago, but this was the very beginning of the marathon of your treatment. Mm -hmm. Do you think you understood why I was really understood why I was pulling up horrific um, herpes images. And, no. and also, if you remember, one time I printed out a bunch oh, yeah. off the color printer and put them on the couch yeah. to await you when oh, you came yeah. in. Yeah. yeah, they were right there where I would sit. Yeah. And I picture. told you I'm not trying to be sadistic. <laughs> I, I promise this is part of the treatment. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think I really understood that too much. Like at the, that very first time when you had them on the, on the computer. But, you know, when we would talk, we, I would talk about... There are certain things in my house that I won't touch because I feel like they're contaminated, certain towels or, you know, things in the linen closet. And you would say, you need to touch those things. You need to do that. But I was like, no. Mm-hmm. And, and I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So I think um, that feeling of fear was, was too strong to do those things. And I was in my mind, you know, a lot of times with OCD, I found myself thinking about... Um, the benefit of exposure versus um, the risk, mm-hmm. I guess. So, in my mind, I would, well, no, I, sh- I can't touch these because these are contaminated and the risk of then contaminating my child is far greater. You know, like this is, this is the more important thing. The more important thing is to protect my child mm-hmm. than to touch these and fix my OCD. Yeah. But really that's not it's really opposite. Yeah. You know, almost. So yeah, we did that. Um You were seeing that while meds are, can be a crucial piece in dialing down the anxiety, really the treatment for OCD, and if, if people listening to this show only get one thing from this, is that the treatment for OCD is exposure therapy. Yes. That is the treatment. And mm-hmm. that's what works and that's hard. It's hard. And um, Dr. Amy's going to be telling us more about that <laughs> yeah. in the next episode, as you will, too. But yeah. you and I started doing some exposure therapy, and I would give you um, exposure homework. And, yeah. and you, some of it you were really able to do. I went in one day, and you had a cup of water on this little table. And you asked me to take a drink of it, and you said... That then you were going to take a drink of it. And I thought, no, no way. 
I would not put you in that position. Like, I do not want you to get cold sores. You're crazy. Yeah. You know? Almost like on your, we talk about exposure hierarchy in, in OCD treatment. So a 10 would be the most horrifying exposure ever mm-hmm. and zero would be easy what do you, what that, do you think was that, that was a 10 that was a 10 <laughs> i shot a little too high i remember thinking hmm i wonder if this is going to be a little much but i just i thought i was going to push you a little bit yeah and um, you did yeah and you did and i remember and then you didn't come back for so many months <laughs> you, t- you didn't you disappeared for like a year yeah. and i thought yeah. i thought oh no that yeah. was and it's true I, you know, again as I describe people with OCD treatment, I mean, OCD treatment, I think, really is like training for a marathon in that yeah. you can do too much. You can overtrain. You can get injured, meaning like the exposure can be too overwhelming. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I apologize. Aaron, that, <laughs> no. that, I was thinking that was maybe like a 7 out of 10, but that clearly was, it was a 10 out of 10. It was. Yeah. It was It was worse than the images, for sure. Yeah. I think because... Um, I was afraid for you mm-hmm. because to me, I'm just this big germ, you know, and I have these germs all over me and anything I touch is contaminated, you know, and I didn't want that for you. I thought, oh, I'm going to be the reason Dr. Heacock gets cold sores now, you know, <laughs> um, but you drank out of that cup like it was nothing. And I thought to myself, this is really interesting. Like, I would have never thought anybody would ever do that. That just seems so scary. Why would he do something like that? Um, and then with, but just then with my, my adventures in exposure therapy, mm-hmm. you know, I, I kind of, I understand it. Understand yeah. It more now. yeah. So it's like, sort of like if you went to exposure therapy. Um, 1A with me, mm-hmm. you stepped up to advanced expert level with Dr. Amy. Yes. Yeah. Tell yes. us, tell us Which more I about that. Which I had no idea. You know, I had no idea what was coming. So you're on a waiting, you're on the waiting <laughs> list, waiting, waiting, uh, seeing me, yeah. hoping then, that I won't share a cup with you again. Right. Hoping that I don't have to do that again. And Not knowing what's coming next. <laughs> <laughs> you can make you long for the cup. Please, please bring back the color images of herpes sores, please. I know, which is actually kind of where we started um, with Dr. Amy. So first thing, I I went to see her and um, did a survey. And the survey, and she'll probably talk more about it, but it kind of just rates your OCD. You know, how, uh, what level are you on? Um, And kind of gives you a, a place to start, I guess. So one of the first things that we started doing was looking at images. So looking at images online. Um, then we went to looking at videos of people on YouTube with cold sores. You can find anything on YouTube. <laughs> you Google people with cold sores on YouTube and there's a ton of videos. Yeah. Who knew? I wouldn't I did not know. So then I'd watch some of those and then I'd have homework to go home and before I go to bed, look at images of cold sores and watch videos of cold sores. And that was my homework. And it made me super anxious, super anxious, just flush. And But you did it. But I did it. Yeah. But I did it. And so we started with that. And then and then and then we gosh, we've done a lot of interesting. Yeah. What were some, what were some of the most challenging even nearly overwhelming things that that you did in your therapy with her well i mean a a thing that i think of which is really kind of the first thing 
that you and I talked about too was the shopping carts. So, I mean, probably for the first two years after having my daughter, I didn't leave the house very much. It was just too overwhelming. And um, when I would go grocery shopping, I, so one, I had Clorox wipes with me all the time. I'd use them to open doors. I'd use them to uh, wipe down various things um, on my adventures in the real world. I'd use them to wipe down shopping carts and not just the handle. I'd wipe down the handle, the sides, the seat where my purse or my bags would go. It took a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing I've learned. Just OCD takes a lot of valuable time out of your life, you know, because I would have all these rituals. And that was one of the things with the shopping carts because it really just freaked me out with the the ideas of who touched the shopping cart and they had a cold sore and then they touched their cold sore and then they touched the shopping cart or they had coffee and then they uh, touched their coffee cup and then touched the handle. It's just this kind of um, a whirlwind of thoughts OCD can be because it's very specific. Yeah, so, oh, well, this shopping cart's innocent <laughs> there, <laughs> you know. It, but I put this story on this shopping cart of what has happened to it, and it gets to become a pretty elaborate, yeah. you know, story. So it was the shopping carts so was really hard. That was one of the first things that I did would you have actually, to do. Did you ever go to a grocery store with Dr. Amy? Not to a grocery no. store. Well, you know what? We went to Target. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we went to Target. But at that <clears throat> point, I think I was over the... So the thing that I had to do was every time I went to a store, get a shopping cart and don't wipe it down. Not the handle, not the, not anything. And if I had my daughter, put her in there. Just put her in there. Because I would go in there and say, oh, I see these people at the grocery store and their kids are, you know, riding on the bottom of the shopping cart where all the gunk and stuff mm-hmm. is at. And she says, that's what I want you to do. She says, that's, that's where I want you to be. I want you to be able to go into a store and let your kid ride on the bottom of the gross, disgusting mm-hmm. shopping cart. Yeah. So not just lean into the anxiety, but actually climb in it. Yeah. Sort yep. of wrap yourself up in it. Go towards it. And that's mm-hmm. what she always tells me. Go towards it. You know, a lot of times I get into these um, places where I'm just surviving OCD. And I'm just going through the motions. But I'm not working on my OCD. I'm just, well, I'm just not going to get a cart today. So avoiding getting a cart, mm-hmm. which every time I get a cart is is a step towards smashing OCD mm-hmm. um, or fighting OCD. So every time I get that cart, I'm telling OCD, well, maybe I will. Maybe I will get a cold sore, but I'm going to do it anyway. first exposure outside of the office was to target and it was to the chapstick aisle to touch a breva which is a cold sore medication and i must have we must have stood in front of that you know that one little section of the chapstick we stood there probably for like 25 minutes before i could even pick it up hmm. you know and we're just pretending you know there's a bunch of people there and so we're just looking at it 
and oh yeah look at that chopstick you can just imagine the people that are like in the cameras watching right. for shoplifters and just watching <laughs> you two in front of the cold sore medicine right. thinking are they are they gonna snag it well, yeah. like, what are they... almost like 18 bucks people probably oh, do go. yeah mm. but <laughs> so we stood there for a long time and then i was touching you know other things which touching things around the abriva was anxiety inducing you know it was just oh, well, somebody probably touched that abriva and then touched this chapstick. And so I didn't want to touch any of it. So she would pick one up and she'd look at it. And then she'd ask me if I was ready to do it. And I wasn't. And then she'd put one back and then she'd pick something up. And that's something that I really appreciate about her is that she'll never ask me to do something that she's not willing to do herself. Mm -hmm. She's given me the time to work my way up to certain things. So eventually I got the Abriva and I just, I had to grab it. I just grab it because I knew if I didn't, if I, I will just stand there the whole hour that we're here, I will just stand here. And so, so I just grabbed it and I'm holding on to it. And she's, you know, she's telling me that's good, you know, um, and asking me how I'm feeling and what my level is at. And so we hold it. And I just hold it and we stand there. And then once we had the abribu, we walked around a little bit. And I just held it the whole time that I was there. And um, and eventually, the anxiety lowered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where I was at a 9-10, by the time I was ready to put that back, I was at maybe like a 4. Yeah. That's this Nine. idea of fear extinction. Right. That if you actually walk right into the anxiety fire and you hang there the anxiety anxiety will dissipate Mm -hmm. and it does yeah and it's it feels good it feels good when it does Mm -hmm. yeah and that same trip we picked up um because we had a little bit of time she wanted to make sure we you know used our time we went around the store and we picked up cups where people set their coffee cups down and um soda bottles and things like that we went around and i had to pick those up and put them in the trash mm. which was which then took my anxiety back up but and not allowed to use oh, like yeah. sanitizer or wipes nope. after you pick Mm-mm. up these cups yeah. no nope. no and that's one thing she said get rid of all that stuff mm-hmm. in the beginning she said get rid of it don't don't have it and if you have it if you feel like you need it because you're out um and you're going to eat and you don't have any way to wash your hands or something, keep it in the back of your car, but don't keep it in your cup holder and your purse, and, which I had, oh my gosh, I had hand sanitizer everywhere and wipes everywhere. My purse was so heavy because I just had so many cleaning things in my purse. Yeah. It's much lighter now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of all the exposures that you've done mm-hmm. with Dr. Amy do you have a sense which ones were most therapeutic, most healing, which sort of kind of chipped away at that iceberg of OCD the most and allowed you to yeah, have more of a life and function with less fear? Yeah, I'd say, you know, in the very beginning, I could tell a difference. After, after I saw her for a few months, I could really tell a difference in my ability to handle things in life. I hadn't used a public bathroom in probably three years. Um, so that was one thing that we worked on. And I think that's been, it's 
been pretty significant, I guess, mm-hmm. because it kind of opens up <laughs> the world a little bit. Like, oh, I can only be out for an hour and I can't drink any water <laughs> so <laughs> because I can't use a public bathroom, yeah. you know, or not that I can't, but I'm not willing you know, mm-hmm. I just wasn't willing to do that. So we spent um, quite a bit of time in, in the bathroom there in the office and touching handles and doors and um, not washing my hands afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the goal going in there, I remember going down there and opening the door. And then she said, what in here is the most gross thing in here? I thought, oh, those faucet handles are disgusting. She said, okay, go touch them. I'm like, oh, are you serious? She's like, yeah, go put your hands on them and just hold on to them. Don't let go. In the public bathroom? Mm -hmm. In the public bathroom. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so You thought, I'm paying for this. (laughs) Paying for this torture? I come here every week (laughs) to be tortured. (laughs) Um, So. Yeah, how long did it take the fear to start to dial down? on that kind of bell curve of, you know, ramping up horrible fear, panic, oh, I'm going to put my hands on these faucets, and then you're holding them, holding them. How, long, say, how long until the fear really started to drop? Like in the bathroom in that mm-hmm. situation? Oh, I'd say 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So what I would do and what I had been doing with OCD is I'm just traveling along and then I go start feeling anxious and I'm going up this hill of anxiety and I get to the top and I have a choice at that top. I can either stay with that anxiety on the way down the other side of the hill or I can have a compulsion, do a compulsion, and then I slide back down and mm-hmm. I end up being where I am before. And so what I was doing is really getting really anxious, really, really anxious and fearful and getting to the top of that hill. I can't handle this. I can't handle this. I wash my hands or do hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. And then I just slide back. Cause that's not that. that's what OCD wants yeah. us to do, yeah. you know, and what Dr. Amy has really taught me to do is to ride that out. So I'm there at the peak and I'm anxious and I am a 10 and I don't think I can handle it, but I stay there and I hold those handles of that faucet and I hold those handles of that faucet until I come down. And I slowly come down. And maybe it takes 15 minutes to come down the other side of the hill. Which is maybe a long time. Takes- <clears throat> That's a long time to hold public bathroom right. faucets. <laughs> right. Which is yeah. one, of the, one of the reasons it's probably good to have an OCD expert guiding you. Right. Co- yeah. Coaching you through this. Because yeah. I don't think I would have ever done it on no. my own. No. Ever. So, um, so, yeah. So, that took 15 minutes. Some things take longer. Some, t- some things don't take as long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the more that I've progressed through treatment it doesn't take as long that anxiety that fear passes more quickly Mm -hmm. i guess you know So what's better? Because you've done an incredible amount of work. What's gotten better? What do you still struggle with? I, um, a lot of things have gotten better. So many things have gotten better. I, um, I leave the house. I enjoy things. I go on trips. I, um, I got on an airplane. I eat at restaurants. These are all things that I wouldn't do, um, 
with OCD. Um, an airplane was just terrifying, but we took a trip um, as a family, and and I was able to do it. And I stayed at a hotel, which is disgusting. And I, <laughs> you know, just um, I do a lot of disgusting things um, in OCD's mind. You know, mm-hmm. I feel I go to the grocery store. I don't wipe down my groceries anymore. I used to wipe down my groceries with Clorox wipes. Uh, I'd get home from the grocery store and I'd wipe down all my groceries with the Clorox wipes, put them in the put them in the fridge, then go back with Clorox wipes, wipe down all the doors that I had touched, go to my car, wipe down the steering wheel, the mm-hmm. doorknobs to make sure exhausting. that it's exhausting. Yeah, I think you made a good point that OCD when it's bad, it's like a full time job. When you and I met, I think it was occupying every waking minute. Mm-hmm. When you and I first met, I was washing my hands upwards of 100 times a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I, do you think now if you had to add up the number of minutes a day or hours or minutes that OCD still kind of robs from you? What would you say? Well, some days are better than others. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Which is sure. an OCD thing. It tends yeah. to wax and wane. Yeah. I mean, uh, OCD is very chronic and lifelong typically, but mm-hmm. yeah, there's good days and bad days. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say now OCD takes up maybe 30 minutes of my day. Or before it was hours and hours. Mm. Um, and on, on bad days, there's still days when it takes up a few hours of my life. Um, but I have more tools now to fight it than I than I feel like I did before. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have more control yeah. in, um, in fighting it. So, Just curious, um, like in 10 being out of control, fear, mm-hmm. zero, no fear. If you had a water cup right now, mm-hmm. took a sip, and then I took a sip, yeah. what level of anxiety would that bring you? Uh, you know, it still kind of makes me worried for you, but I would say probably like a three. Oh. Yeah. So it was 10 out of 10. Yeah. You disappear for months. And then I, yeah. And now it's a three. I run away. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's a three. And I'm also super curious, Aaron, now in the, in the kind of early days of coronavirus, we're not, we know it could be bad, but we don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's a virus. And yeah. you know, much of your last five years has been focused on a different virus. Sure. But I'm curious how the, I mean, now we're seeing people wipe down their shopping carts and, you know, actually doing a lot, regular people without OCD, Mm -hmm. not regular, but people without OCD are now doing what you did for years. Is that triggering or bringing you back into that? Or are you able to sort of compartmentalize that? No, I, I feel, uh, I feel like, you know, it's out there and I hear about it. But I'm not afraid of it. I just think that could happen. You know, I could get it. Somebody could get it. But I can handle it. You know, and when I I do see people doing the things that I would do. And it does make me think sometimes, should I should I be doing those same things? Mm -hmm. You know, should I should I be doing those things that I used to do? But I don't. That's amazing. If you think about that. Yeah. I mean, here we have appropriate fear across the world of this virus we're not sure what's going to happen it's very contagious right yet you had debilitating life-wrecking contamination ocd again focused on a different virus but here you are today taking care of your family and living your life and and being careful but not not gripped in panic and falling back into all your rituals yeah which i thought would be really easy to do and I thought could very easily happen but it hasn't I think I've 
you know, I have an arsenal. Yeah. Now. Yeah. And I use it. some advice or words of wisdom to anyone listening who might have some OCD kind of symptoms or is really frustrated with OCD treatment or do you have any thoughts for people? Yeah, I do. I think um, OCD is, um, it can be really isolating and you can feel really lonely in it because it is hard for people to understand. But there are professionals out there that really know how to help you. And um, if you go in and you do the work, you'll get better. But it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of treatment either. Um, there are times that I had assignments that I didn't do, and that affected that affected my treatment. You know, So you can go in and see the best doctors, but if you don't, do the work you're not going to get better Mm -hmm. you know so even though it's hard I would say you can do it there is light at the end of the tunnel and if you do the work you will see you will see the benefit if you like this episode please share it with anyone else who might find hope or meaning in this story check out our website bftapodcast.com where you can learn more about us and this project get more information on the treatments mentioned in the stories as well as additional resources and music credits you can also email us with comments or story requests if you have time please rate us on itunes as this helps us spread these stories far and wide much gratitude to my good friend chris johnson who does our sound and thank you for listening to back from the abyss May each of you find the strength and support to find your way through the darkness.